Truth News Network. Standing tall before the storm, TNN, the Truth News Network. Guts, glory, Dan. It's not just Dan, it's Dan Newman. Hello, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. It's that time of the week. Every week we have one, and that is Wednesday. I hope the first part of the week was good to you. I hope the back part of it is going to be even better. What's going on in your life now? I like to ask that to people that I meet every once in a while, especially if it's people that I haven't seen in a while that I've known. What's changed in your life? It's interesting how things change. Do you think you would have given one even little bitty thought to being locked down in a pandemic here in the United States. Did any American think that might be a possibility five years ago, four years ago, three years ago? When COVID first broke in uh, January of 2020, I don't think anybody thought that it was going to be a bad deal. We never thought that we'd be masked up and locked down and businesses would close. That's never happened before this in my lifetime. 69 years. I've never seen anything like this. Isn't it interesting how life goes? You think you got your arms around it? You think you got it all figured out and so you make your decisions for what you're going to do in your life and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, bam, something unmentionable, unthinkable, never thought before in your life it was going to happen. And it happens. How do we handle these kind of things? We never thought about there being a food shortage of any kind in the United States, but it's already creeping up on us. And look at the baby formula shortage that we have. This administration told us when it first came to light, people started saying, what the heck is going on? We can't buy Infamil and Similac. That's never been a problem before. Come to find out, our administration was notified that it was going to be an eventuality when the FDA decided to shut down the largest baby formula factory in Michigan, and they had no plans to replace what that big factory was doing. And it's like all of a sudden, bam, somebody gets slapped in the face. We're out of baby, baby formula. Grocery stores can't get it. And then we were told, oh, we've got it fixed. We got with the FDA and they reopened that plan and it's going to just take a few more weeks to catch up. Mainstream media dropped it. Nobody was talking about it. We all thought everything's okay. And then we hear moms and dads across the nation are going crazy to find food for their babies. And I asked, I thought the Biden administration told us they had fixed that. It's not fixed. And that's just one thing. We're about to have a fruit and vegetable and beef shortage across the nation. Oh, by the way, chicken too. What's going on? What is happening? We have nothing but chaos in our government. Have you watched any meetings online of the United States House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate? It's idiotic. It's idiotic to watch what's going on there. 
It's almost like nobody wants to sit down and talk to each other. All they want to do is stand up and scream at each other, make demeaning remarks, go out and talk about other people being evil. We sent these 535 people to Washington, D.C. to represent us, not represent them, in their negotiations to craft laws and get those laws passed, and those laws got to be for the people. And then to do oversight of the government to make sure that our government is operating for the people. What a novel idea. I'm not seeing that looking in my rearview mirror right now. I haven't seen that in mass in the last decade or so, decade or so, decade or so, 10 years plus. And here we are in 2022, halfway through the year. And we still have chaos and idiocy in our governing. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could just say, you know what? I know you know that. You're living in the same world that I am. You see the same things that I see. I may see a few more things or get a little more in the way of explanation about some things because of TNN Live. But I don't know any more to speak of of any kind of volume than you do. We just have chaos in our world. And then we get hung up on things like Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker. Oh my gosh, she says she's going to go to Taiwan. Xi Jinping said they may even shoot down her jet. What are we going to do? It's going to be World War III. Yesterday on the show, I asked you this. Do you think Xi Jinping wants to start a world war by shooting an American lawmaker, the number three person, and the whoever follows the president, if the president goes down, you want to, you, you think they really want that? No, they don't want that. China doesn't have the infrastructure, regardless of what you hear. They don't have the money. They don't have the military might to do a literal world war. I mean, they would be fighting the continental United States. The continental United States would be, would be uh, fighting the continental Chinese. It would be a massive undertaking in the best of economies on the planet. And there is no best economy anywhere on this planet. So why don't they just sit down and resolve this? It's all about Taiwan. That's what this was about. The United States has a one-China policy. I don't like the fact that they did it. What it means is is Taiwan is going to be treated as a part of China, even though it isn't a part of China. Now, that doesn't make sense to me. That's a story for another day, but that's what's at this. But why can't world leaders with little bitty differences like that I mean, we're talking about a little bitty island off the east coast of China, as big as China is. And they want to worry about that little bitty island. And those people that live on that island, in the most part, don't want to be affiliated or any way involved, especially interactionally, with China. They want to be free. Now, we promote our philosophies. We've always done that. But of late, It seems like our leaders in Washington, they want to force policies down the throats 
of Americans and also force everything that we think, or at least our government thinks and those in it, are the right things for living, we want to force that down the throats of other people at other nations. We're not the supervisors of the planet. There are plenty of capable people in these countries around the world. They may not structure their government like the United States government. You know what? That's their prerogative. We don't have any right to march in there and tell somebody, oh, you've got to do this and you certainly can't do that. If you do that, we're going to cut you off from the gravy train. We're going to quit paying you. Well, in the first place, we shouldn't be sending them money without any accountability attached to any of it. And we are the most giving country in world history. We give away tens of billions of dollars every year. I mean, look at Afghanistan. It was no big deal to the Biden administration. We just kind of said Bagram Air Base that we built, that we operated, we paid for all the infrastructure for years and years and years. And Biden says, hey, we're just going to leave all this stuff over there and left. $80 billion worth of military hardware that was used against us, by the way, before we could get our butts out of Afghanistan. And 12 American military members gave their lives because of what Biden did in that one event. Anytime we stick our nose, the United States of America, we stick our nose in another country's business, it has always come back and bit us in the butt. Why oh why would this administration think it would be any different for them because they are peacemakers and the president-to-be, when he was campaigning, he told us all over and over again, I want to be the uniter. I don't want to be the president of Democrats or the president of Republicans. I want to be the presidents of all Americans. And I'm going to be the peacemaker. And then even before he took his oath of office, he began doing the exact opposite. Let me tell you this, what we better do, we have too many problems on our hands for anybody in Washington, D.C. to try to consume the power broker position in the world and start intimating that we have the know-how and the authority to fix the issues in other nations. We need to take care of our stuff. And if you want to get mad about the slogan, American first, America first, if that bugs you, you might want to think about getting a ticket to somewhere else because that's what America has got to do. It's exactly like flying on a jet, commercial jet, and they give you this little spiel at the beginning, usually before you take off, and they tell you, in the case of an emergency oxygen mask, are going to pop down in front of you. What you do every time is you put your oxygen mask on first and then help whoever's around you to put theirs on. Why is that? Same thing as America first. If the United States of America isn't healthy, hasn't got its stuff basically all together, and functioning well as the nation we are, we don't need to be out there trying to help somebody else. 
And I got to be honest with you. I don't like what I'm about to say, but it is a fact. Our nation is not in good condition. We don't have the oxygen mask on yet. We haven't even got it on. It's been up there dangling from the ceiling and our leaders don't even want to bother to pick it up and put it on their faces so they can take care of themselves and our nation before they start telling other nations what the heck to do. That's been a knock on the United States for generations. We're too big for our britches. You spend any time in Europe, I have, people over there still think that about us. They think we're just a bunch of blowhards, that we're a bunch of rebels, that we don't want to get together and uh, do self-governing like we say we're doing. (laughs) Self-governing. I'm not governing anything in my life. All I have is a vote. I use it very carefully every time there's election. We had primary election yesterday. Alex Bryant, who was running for a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives in southwest Missouri, he was on our show twice. He stood up against the incumbent, and sadly, Alex lost that race. But Alex was pushing forward in the American process. He'll continue to push forward in the American process. We need good good, good leaders across the board. And in most cases, we got a bunch of politicians. Oh my gosh. What's that old saying? Politicians, what do you think about them? Well, if you put them all together, it makes a good rock pile. There's not a lot of substance there. I'm sad to say. So we have a lot in store for you today. Before we do that, I want to tell you about Uh, What's coming up on the show tomorrow, we have a special guest, Jeremy Hammond. And I know many of you have heard that name. He is the epitome of an investigative journalist. And his investigation target has been primarily FDA fraud, CDC disinformation, social media censorship, And he writes a lot of good stories. Listen to some of these titles. The Thoroughly Corrupt Public Health Establishment. Here in an interview he did. Title of the interview, The Need to Resist the Regime of Medical Tyranny. Another interview, The Public Health Establishment's War on Informed Consent. Why We Need to Get Government Out of Public Health. Natural immunity is an opportunity cost of COVID-19 vaccines. Debunking lies we've been told about SARS-CoV-2. So as you can hear, he's a guy that's on top of the really, really critical uh, weaponized things that people use against the American people. He's going to be with us tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to that. He'll be in the first hour, 9.30 tomorrow. And uh, if you want to know any more about him before we do the interview, Jeremy R. Hammond, H-A-M-M-O-N-D. Look him up. Well, as you know, Speaker Pelosi, she shocked the world. And she just flew right into the face of Xi Jinping in China and said, I'm going to Asia as a representative of the United States government and the U.S. people. And on that trip, we're going to go to Taiwan. Well, 
You know, we, we talked about that little bitty island. What big deal was it? She did go, and she met with a lot of leaders, Asian leaders, while she was there. She's, she's uh, not in any kind of uh, trouble. There was no attempt to do anything to stop her. I'm sure all it did was really P.O. a bunch of Chinese bureaucrats that uh, their threats did not sway Speaker Pelosi. And what was what was missing in this whole thing? You heard multiple U.S. agencies and the leaders of some agencies, people that work in the U.S. government, they came out and talked about it. We never heard from Joe Biden. He was asked about it. I remember, I forget what the interview was about, but as he was walking away at the end of it, he was asked about it, and he just threw his hands up and said, uh, that's Speaker Pelosi. We're, we don't get in the middle of that. That's up to her, and she would coordinate with the U.S. military. I have no idea if that happened, but that was the president. And then it becomes very, very obvious that Joe was avoiding getting into the middle of it. And many people, and I'm raising my hand right now in the studio saying I'm one of them, I think Joe's lack of involvement in that is that he's caught up with stuff in China. And he's been conflicted from the very beginning of his campaign because he has some kind of obligations to either the Chinese government or people that are very powerful people in China. Why else would he send millions of barrels of oil when we're sitting here choking as Americans? I hunted and pecked early this morning to find some gas to put in my car, and I finally found some I thought was really good price, $3.60. Now, that is a good price in relation to what a lot of people are paying in other states. You go about 15 miles from where I sit now across the border into Texas, Texans right now, on the most part, are paying a little bit more. They're in the 350, 360, 370 range. And he's sending our oil from our strategic oil reserves, which are to be used in the case of domestic emergencies. And he sends it over to China? Why do you think that happened? There's got to be some kind of quid pro quo between our president and either the Chinese government or powerful government leaders. I'm waiting for another explanation to be mentioned. Nobody, nobody at the national level has even jumped on that and pushed to get answers. I would love... I don't think we'll ever get a straight answer from him about it if he ever gets asked. But I would like for Peter Ducey to get in his face. Now, I know he is uh, he's in COVID world again. Um, you know, which COVID did he get? Is it a variant? Is it one of the original ones? Did he ever have it the first time? I'm sure he did. It wouldn't surprise me if we find out that he really doesn't have COVID this time. But before we get into all of that, before we do that, I want to go 
I'm going to go elsewhere about it. I'm going to talk about Nancy Pelosi and this mess going on in her family. And what am I referencing there? Paul Pelosi. Paul Pelosi, her husband. And you remember, what, a month or two ago, he was uh, he was involved in a car accident in Northern California, and it was poopot as no big deal. But there are some very explosive facts that came out overnight. And Jesse Waters on Fox News picked up on it at the beginning of his show. Major breaking developments in the Paul Pelosi DUI case. Just hours before tomorrow's hearing, primetime has received a series of significant leaks from Napa County officials that paint an entirely different picture than what we've been told happened that night. And we were right. There were a series of injuries involved, serious ones. Both cars were totaled. There were drugs involved, not just alcohol. And Paul did hand cop something that wasn't his driver's license. And just today, on the eve of the hearing, the judge has been replaced in a blatantly corrupt move. Well, some pretty big bombshells there from Fox News' Jesse Waters, who has been doing a bit of digging on Nancy Pelosi's husband. On the eve of Paul Pelosi's arraignment before the court for his drink driving charges from back in May, Jesse Waters has received some interesting information. While Nancy Pelosi arrives for her highly criticised trip to Taiwan, her husband Paul will have his case heard before the court on charges relating to his drink driving. We remember back in late May, Paul Pelosi was involved in a car crash where his Porsche and a Jeep collided in the Napa Valley after he attended a dinner party. It was revealed that he was under the influence of alcohol causing injury and driving with a 0.8% blood alcohol level or higher. Jesse Waters told his audience the reason why law enforcement delayed releasing Paul's mugshot is because he was absolutely plastered. In a statement to Fox News from a police complaint, it read, His eyes appear red and watery, he was unsteady on his feet, his speech was slurred and he had a strong odour of an alcoholic beverage emanating from his breath. A criminal complaint also alleged that he was not only under the influence from alcohol, but there was a drug involved. The leak to primetime also states that while it was originally reported to the public that there were no injuries and then there were minor injuries, Paul Pelosi reportedly had paint his upper right arm, right shoulder and neck. It was also difficult to lift things with his right arm and he was suffering from headaches. Nancy Pelosi's husband also reportedly handed the police a donor card instead of his driver's licence when he was found at the crash scene. So instead of handing over his licence, he handed over, in what could be seen as a bribe, a card that says he donates to the California Highway Patrol. Jesse Waters also details how the judge that was set for the court case has mysteriously stepped down. The new judge happens to be a registered Democrat with no previous experience in criminal cases and used to work for the Napa County DA's office. Mr Pelosi might not actually appear in person and his attorney could be sent on his behalf on a DUI misdemeanor case. There will also not be any cameras or recording devices allowed in the courtroom, so the public and media won't really know for sure what happens inside. In late June, it was revealed that Paul Pelosi would be officially charged with a DUI. The punishment for driving under the influence of California is up to five years probation, a minimum of five days in jail, installation of an ignition interlock device, fines and fees, completion of a court-ordered drinking driver class and other terms as appropriate. So it will be a wait-and-watch situation to see what kind of punishment the House Speaker's husband receives. I'd love to hear the response to that story by those women. Can I say women when I speak about The View? 
Is that politically correct? Is it okay? Well, you know what I'm referencing and who I'm referencing. I would love to hear their explanation, not for the fact that uh, Paul Pelosi was drinking too much, but the context in all the details of what the reality of this was. And you got to remember, we're talking about the number third most powerful woman or person in our government. If Joe Biden goes, then we have Kamala Harris, the vice president. If Kamala goes, then we have Nancy Pelosi. Can you imagine a president, Nancy Pelosi? Oh my gosh. I don't know that it would be hell on earth, but it would be close to it at best. Can you imagine a scenario in which you, if you were caught drunk and you had been involved in a real bad wreck and people on the other side were hurt, went to the hospital, both cars destroyed, which is what happened in Paul Pelosi's wreck. Do you think you'd get a slap on the hand and you'd get all of this cush treatment? Absolutely not. In Louisiana, I can tell you this. The only reason whoever was drunk involved in that wreck would not get life in prison would be if nobody was killed in that wreck. You would get some serious jail time. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. What Paul Pelosi did could be, in, under California law, ruled as a felony. A felony. It ain't going to happen. You and I both know that. Changing the judge the day before the hearing. Why would that happen? Can you imagine the phone calls that went on? Nancy calling her nephew. The governor. <laughs> and saying, hey, upstate. Paul was in a wreck. You got to handle this, Gavin. Call them. Get it wiped away. Make it be done just as a misdemeanor, a slap on the wrist. He doesn't go to he doesn't need to go to jail. He can't he can't go to jail. He has physical ailments, which he does. Has mental ailments. And he has a dependency problem, we discovered from the wreck. This is just another example of there's a uh, criminal justice system for them and one for us. And I promise you, theirs is a little better than ours. Last night, Jimmy Fallon couldn't handle it. (laughs) I love this. Jimmy Fallon took a shot at Joe's rebound coronavirus case, as well as the seeming unlikelihood of a second Biden presidential term after the White House said that Joe had once again tested positive for COVID for the second time, Fallon joked there was a positive spin on the diagnosis. He said, right now, Biden's looking on the bright side. He's like, well, at least my COVID got a second term. (laughs) It's not looking like Joe's going to get a second term. So COVID did a, a little better than did Joe. And why would I bring that up right next to a Nancy Paul Pelosi story? It's because the lives of both couples, they really closely align. Careers heavily 
heavily entrenched in Democrat Party policies, both couples. And both couples have made buttloads full of money by being Democrats, being a Democrat leadership positions, both of them. Criminal justice system for thee and a criminal justice system for me. That's the way it happens, folks. We just got to deal with it. We got to deal with it. Representative Michael Waltz, he ripped Joe Biden for his handling of House Speaker Pelosi's planned trip to Taiwan. Waltz described the mixed messaging from Biden, Pelosi, and the Pentagon over the trip as a mess. Look, internally, this is a mess, Waltz emphasized. I mean, that's the understatement of the day. The speaker was furious that the Biden White House leaked this trip to the Financial Times, which I think was a huge strategic mistake. Then he comments on her trip and says the military doesn't want her to go. Now, she's in a box. She's got to go. You can't back down from this. The message that it will send to the Chinese military and our allies will be devastating. Literally, folks, she had to go. If not, in the scheme of things, when you were in elementary school and you had recess and lunchtime, a lot of times you were out on the playground, there was always a bully on the playground, always, at least one. Usually they ran in a pack of two or three. And if a bully came after you and you did not try to defend yourself, Every bully from then on would come after you as a softie just because you were weak and they knew they could beat you. If Pelosi had not gone to Taiwan on her trip to Asia, that's exactly what would have happened. On the international stage at every level, think about places like the United Nations, NATO. The United States has always been a leader in both of those organizations and many others. If we kowtowed to Xi Jinping, Pelosi had not gone. That's what would have happened on the international stage for the United States of America. Wonder what Joe's been doing while he's been in the closet or downstairs in the White House at Delaware? Well, he made a decision. We're going we're gonna to spend $3.05 billion dollars on Patriot missiles, and we're going to send them to Saudi Arabia. That's coming out of Joe's meeting when he was at Saudi Arabia. 300 Patriot missiles. They're officially known as GEM-T, GEM-T, were previously requested by Saudis and will be subject to congressional approval on top of negotiations with the contractors. What contractors? Why are contractors even mentioned in this? This is the U.S. government to this Saudi Arabia government. I don't have an answer. I'm asking you the question. Hmm. Included in the sales package are tools, test equipment, spare parts, logistics support for the tactical ballistic missiles. The U.S. also announced a potential sale to the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, of additional 
Terminal High Altitude Area Defense, or THAAD, T-H-A-A-D, System Missiles, THAAD Fire Control and Communication Stations, and related equipment for an estimated cost of two and a quarter billion dollars. So, an announcement made in a statement that the sale to Saudi Arabia, the U.S. Department of U.S. State Department said the missiles will be useful in the kingdom's defense against persistent Houthi, the Houthi rebels, out of Yemen, cross-border unmanned aerial system and ballistic missile attacks on civilian sites and critical infrastructure. These attacks threaten the well-being of Saudi, international, and U.S. citizens, about 70,000 of them residing in the kingdom. Prior to going to Saudi Arabia, Joe pledged that he would turn the kingdom into a pariah state due to the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. They didn't just murder Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi embassy in Turkey. Jamal Khashoggi went into that embassy and he never came out and his body never came out. There was no body bag of Jamal Khashoggi it was leaked out that his body was dissolved in acid. Think about that. And so we should never, the United States should never legitimize anybody in leadership in Saudi Arabia over that until they come clean. And yet Joe goes over. It's never mentioned in his meeting with the crown prince. The president's stance was strangely illustrated when he greeted the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, with an awkward fist bump instead of a handshake. Golly, conservative media in the United States, they went nuts over that. Fist bump, you know, that's what many people do instead of shaking hands. And it's cool to do fist bump. It's a fist bump. It's like uh, the cool way to say hello. A lot of people took that as Joe Biden legitimizing the crown prince. Is this the accountability you promised for Khashoggi's murder? The blood of MBS's next victim is on your hands, tweeted Khashoggi's former fiance. The president's visit with the crown prince did not end as he hoped. He went over there grubbing for more oil from them. It came to making no firm commitment to increase oil production as gas prices soar in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That story, that last sentence, doesn't fit because it's not true. Gas prices soared way before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It was up more than a buck fifty, almost two dollars a gallon, before Russia shot the first time in Ukraine. Nobody's holding this administration responsible for any of this stuff. I don't get it. I don't get it. We had a bunch of of elections around the U.S. Most of those were primary elections. And I'm not going to get into the various races, but to be honest with you, it, it portends a real bath, bloodbath, in the midterms for Democrats. In most cases... As expected, Trump-endorsed candidates won 
their primaries. Their primaries. Got general elections coming up on midterm day in November. We're watching those closely. Um, In the meantime, we got a lot of things on our plate in the United States that we need to get done. And we don't have a lot of time to get them done. We really don't. So Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan. Nothing happens. The Chinese don't do anything. But they've already come with uh, indications that they are really seriously contemplating invading Taiwan. Now, former Secretary of State CIA Director Mike Pompeo, last night on Martha McCallum's show, Mike, he explained, Pompeo explains what might happen with the Chinese takeover of Taiwan if it happens. With that, we want to bring in Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State and CIA Director and a Fox News contributor. Secretary, good to have you with us as always. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, You've been watching this along with us. Uh, What would you like to say about what John Kirby just said and what you're hearing in there? Well, he got some things right and some things not quite right. He was right. The the strike on Zawahiri was important. He was a bad guy. Uh, It's a kudos to the intelligence community during my time and uh, now after it, a lot of work done to get him and take him off the battlefield. It is a righteous strike against a horrible man who killed lots of Americans. Uh, Second, it's good that we demonstrated we could conduct a strike without uh, troops on the ground. That's good stuff. But the overstatement is that we still have the depth and capacity of intelligence that we had before we left. And that's that's certainly not the case in the way that we uh, rolled out of there. Uh, second, uh, with respect to the Taliban, um, I, I was in the middle of the discussions with the Taliban. We, we never trusted them. Uh, they continued to violate the agreement when we were in office. And for that reason, we never got everybody out. We knew that they weren't honoring the commitments that they'd made under the Doha agreement. And so we didn't do what President Biden chose to do. Um, they knew, this administration knew that they were violating the agreements and chose to leave. And the risk is therefore heightened. So President Biden has said, you know, that it, Afghanistan will never be a safe haven for terror that he will not allow that to happen. Does he have the ability to do that given our lack of footprint there and even you know, understanding and respecting the uh, over the horizon strength that we did see demonstrated here? Boy, it's difficult to do anywhere to make such a blanket statement and say you're not gonna let someplace be a, a haven. Uh, the question is always about how much resource and how much risk can you take down? And there's, there's no doubt because the Taliban have failed to live up to the commitments that they made, uh, the risk is greater today than it was a year ago when we had the debacle of the departure from Afghanistan. I don't think there's any doubt about that there's more risk there today, Martha. Yeah, he, he said if the Taliban wants in a relationship, uh, they should look at what we did. I'm not, I'm not sure that there's room there for a relationship uh, yeah. anymore at this point, but we'll see yeah. what they do the, there. Uh, I want to The ask next you, big uh, push will be about money, Martha. They're going to need a bunch of money, absolutely. and we should make sure we don't give them a nickel. Yeah, well, uh, we've seen those kind of exchanges in the past, um, and we'll see what they decide to do here. I want to ask you about the large picture in terms of China. You look at this as, you know, former CIA director, former secretary of state. What's the impact of this Pelosi trip, and what do you read into the reaction to it? Does it move us, or does it move Taiwan closer to a more dangerous situation? And do you think that China is, is planning an invasion? Martha, I don't think there's any doubt that Xi Jinping is intent on taking Taiwan. Uh, He calls it reunification. We know that it is the destruction and the violation of the sovereignty of an independent nation. Uh, Even Kirby used the language says we still need to defend Taiwan, even though he went wobbly when he talked about the the history there. 
the, the Chinese are a bit tiresome on this, Martha, I'll be honest with you. They overreact to silly things like a visit from a parliamentarian from a free nation and threaten all kinds of silly stuff. We, we shouldn't be on defense here. We're doing the right thing. Uh, Speaker Pelosi did the right thing by traveling there after we were threatened and not letting the Chinese Communist Party bully us. Uh, I think Xi Jinping's plans didn't change one iota because of Speaker Pelosi's visit. I think his plans remain the same. He may use this as a pretext to, to mess around for a while. W what we can't do is be on defense. We have to take a series of actions that demonstrate real American resolve. And if we do those things, we can push back against the CCP's threats, not only on Taiwan, but here in our homeland as well. Just have 20 seconds, but I thought it was interesting. John Kirby said, we will continue to manage what Beijing decides to do. Roughly, that, that's not verbatim, but roughly. Yeah, that's backwards. It should be the Chinese Communist Party that fears what America will do, that it fears American strength, economic power from the United States of America, something that can put the Chinese Communist Party at enormous risk. We should support the Chinese people. We should pressure the Chinese Communist Party, and we can convince them not to behave in the very ways we've seen them behave these last handful of days, Martha. Secretary Pompeo, always good to have you with us. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Martha. Have a great afternoon. Yes, ma'am. You too. Good to see you. And good to have all of you with us. You know, with that, that story coming out, and you hear Mike Pompeo, who is a consummate foreign policy expert, CIA director, and then Secretary of State under Donald Trump, he is plugged in and is a very level-headed, very knowledgeable person and a smart thinker about foreign policy issues. His interpretation of all of that was basically parallel what I said at the top of the show about what we've got to do regarding China. If we give them a free pass in any area of international policy, we're toast with them. We'll lose all our credibility around the world. And is that important? Of course it is. We don't want people in the world taking advantage. And when I say taking advantage, I'm not talking about getting in front of us in the line when we're waiting to go through the lunch line. No, 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 no. On a world stage, negotiating agreements with other countries, working on deals in our organizations. All of these things matter when you start talking with people about other things. Nothing in politics exists in a vacuum. It just doesn't. And our next story is going to illustrate that perfectly. President Biden, guess what he is doing? He is preparing to issue another executive order. Going to sign it today, we're told. And let me give you a little background on this. We didn't get that information about the CEO from anybody in the United States. The media either don't have the information or they're not putting it out there. Why? Because it's going to be very controversial. What is it? You'll find out after this. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers' branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is 
all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. For over 75 years, people have saved money with... Oh, with Geico. Oh, sorry. Here we what? go from the top. And action. For over 75 years, people have saved money with Gecko. So... Cut it. What? What did I say? Gecko. I said Gecko. Oh. For over 75 years... <laughs> Keep it together. I'm good, I'm good. <clears throat> For over 70... <laughs> what are you doing there? Stop making me laugh. Gecko. Saving people money for over 75 years. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore. Well, that just wouldn't be fair. I don't know about that. There's more than one Dan Newman. Quick story about that. Many years ago, I was a general sales manager of a Ford Lincoln Mercury Toyota dealership. And um, during that period... We had a demonstrator. Every every salesperson, every manager had a demo provided by the dealership. That was a big deal. And Ford, Lincoln, Mercury, Toyota, Lincoln, every salesman, every manager in our dealership wanted to drive a Lincoln. So I basically, I just, as a manager, I said, I don't want to create any havoc. So I, I just got like, a, I don't even remember what I got, but it was, it was a nice car that I used. And we usually let everybody put about 3,000 miles on their demonstrators, demos we called them, and then we'd take them out of that and sell that car and put them in something else. Well, during a strike, and I forget what year it was, this is in the mid-70s, early 80s, I forget what year it was, uh, we didn't have enough cars to sell, yet alone provide demos. So I started uh, just messing around with uh, used cars, not coming through the dealership, but I'd look in the paper, I'd see somebody uh, that was driving something. I talked to friends at dealerships in other cities, and I found a Mercedes-Benz 300 diesel. And I'd never had a Mercedes, and of course, as a Ford dealer, I couldn't drive it. Marianne was going to drive it. But the dealer that I found it from, the used car dealer, was in Texas, so we did all the paperwork. Everything was done over the phone, and they were going to deliver it to my house. And so I um, I waited. And at this time, we lived in Ruston, Louisiana. The next day, it was supposed to be delivered. And Johnny, the dealer, I called him a couple of times and said, hey, where's the car? And he said, oh, oh don't worry about it. They're on their way. And so it never came, and I got really busy. I didn't think about it again till that evening about 7 o'clock, and I was still at our dealership. So I called him, and he said, Hey, man, that's a problem. We delivered the car to your house. And I thought, Oh, my gosh, there's, there's a scam going on. So his guy, the delivery guy, wasn't there. 
and he wouldn't see him till the next morning. He said, I'll find out what's going on and we'll, I'll call you early in the morning. Well, he called and he said, we delivered it to this address in Shreveport. And I said, Johnny, I live in Ruston. I don't live in Shreveport. And he said, are you sure? Dan Newman, manager, Ford dealership. And I said, yeah. And he said, Ray Ford. I said, no, Johnny, I'm at McHale Ford Lincoln Mercury in Ruston. And he, he, he said, well, we delivered it to Dan Newman in Shreveport. I get on the phone and I find out there's a Dan Newman in Shreveport. But that's not the big conundrum. The big conundrum was he was a manager at a Ford dealership 70 miles away from me. They did deliver the car to him there. And he, when I called him early that morning and said, hey, there's been a problem, he said, I was finding you to call you to tell you somebody dumped a Mercedes over here, delivering it to who they thought were you. I wasn't here, and I came home, and the car was there. So we made the switch. And I'm saying this. Lots of times, news agencies, they get cross uh Sometimes they get exclusives. They all want to come up with the story first. And sometimes somebody else slips it in there. In the news world, it is so stinking competitive. And so when you get a story from a news agency that we turn to a lot here at TNN Live, the Daily Mail, dailymail.com, it's a great way to get some more unbiased news stories than we get here in the United States. It also gives you a perspective there about what's going on globally, the the really important things. U.S. news agencies, as you can imagine, they primarily concentrate on big things out of our government here, and we don't hear a lot about their government. Not so out of the Daily Mail. This was published early this morning. President Biden is going to sign an executive order today that will make it easier for women seeking abortions to travel between states to obtain access to the procedure. It's a second EO aimed at protecting the right of an abortion after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Specifically, in this executive order, one of the directives Biden is issuing will allow states that have not outlawed abortion to apply, listen to this, to apply for specific Medicaid waivers that would, in effect, help them treat women who have traveled from out of state. Now, why is that a big deal? Medicaid. Medicaid. How does Medicaid work? Well, Medicaid is supposedly a health care plan for people who are lower class economical uh, members of society. But what's the conundrum? Is there a conundrum here? Yes, it is. Federal dollars being used for abortion purposes. Hmm. I don't know about you, but I just I just came through a a month and a half, two months of hearing every day federal government, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, the federal government 
cannot spend money to assist for abortion care. How in the world are they going to get around that in this EO? The order will also call on health care providers to comply with federal non-discrimination laws, streamline the collection of key data and information on maternal health at the National Institute of Health and the CDC. Now you start throwing all that stuff in there and you talk about health care and teaching and you know, streamlining the collection of key data all costs some money. So they throw that in there to try to legitimize the fact that what this is, they're getting federal dollars in line to assist women that are going somewhere else to get an abortion. The way the law now reads, based upon the finding of the Supreme Court, is abortion is not Illegal. Everybody says it is. It did away. It outlawed abortions. It did not. It threw the responsibility and the importance of whatever state to state, each state specifically puts in their laws, state laws at the state level, not the federal level. You can either get abortion in this state or you can't, period. And now... Joe Biden in his ilk in his administration are finding ways to penalize the American taxpayers by paying subsidizing Medicaid for abortions. That's exactly what this executive order. It'll be challenged. But isn't it amazing that our government knows whoever wrote this EO knows that it doesn't pass constitutional muster and that it will be challenged, but they just go ahead and throw it out there. Why do they do that, you ask? If you know it's going to be challenged and it'll be overturned, it's all for political weaponization, folks. They're facing a bloodletting, the Democrats, in the midterms. They've got to find every way they possibly can to have ammunition in the run-up to the midterms to get people out to vote, their people out to vote. And they're trying to to resolve every one of the issues that people in the Democrat Party are dealing with. And as long as they can wave a flag in front of these people and say, look what we did. Oh, those evil Republicans in the Supreme Court. They took away your right to get an abortion in the city in which you live. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to kind of go through the back door. We're going to make it legal for the federal government to support the travel between states for women to get abortion, and we're going to run it through the Medicaid program. Executive order, the president, he gave through this EO waivers that would in effect help these women treat, get treated, who have traveled, treated, don't say abortions, but treated when they travel from out of state. This kind of stuff is going to happen, and it's it's always been happening, happening. It's never, it's never stopped. So as we get ready for the 2022 midterm elections in November, 
Many Americans, including us here at TNN Live and you, we're all talking about the 2024 presidential election and the vapid existence of a legitimate Democrat that can run and possibly beat Donald Trump or whoever else is going to represent the Republican Party in the presidential election in 2024. So another name has come up. Hmm. While Trump overcame the Republican establishment back in 2016 to win a historic election, he beat Hillary. The Democrat Party hasn't undergone the same reforms away from the establishment. Both Hillary and Joe Biden are establishment figures who defeated socialist Senator Bernie Sanders in 2016 and 2020, respectively, keeping the populist left out of the Oval Office. Donald Trump was the populist on the right in the 2016 election. So one writer explained, listen to this, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the future of the Democrat Party. She has policies based in populism, and for that reason is less of a personality and more of a movement and a force to be reckoned with in 2024 to combat Donald Trump. She has been unafraid, unapologetic, unwilling to bend to the will of those in Washington, D.C. In the age of social media and quick sound bites, no Democrat is more prepared to embarrass a bully like Donald Trump. She's the voice of a movement that began after the banks were bailed out by the government while homeowners were left to default on their mortgages. The simplicity with which she talks about everyday struggles hints that she's not just a persona for consumption. She isn't beholden to corporations. She's a prodigious small-dollar fundraiser, could out-Trump Trump like no other politician has been able to. Have you ever thought this is even a remote possibility? I mean, when you listen to what this op-ed says, it begins to make more and more sense. She could mount a campaign at 24. Though she could do it, doesn't mean she will. Joe Biden has reportedly stated he is running for re-election because he believes he's the only Democrat who could defeat Trump. I beat him up in 2020. I can beat him again next time we have a presidential election. What year is that? Oh, 2024. (laughs) 75% of Democrat voters want Joe to not run, to be replaced atop the Democrat ticket in 2024. And just a few months ago, it was only 51% of Democrats that wanted Joe to go. Now it's up to 75%, three out of four. It should also be noted Trump leads Biden in any hypothetical 2024 presidential matchup by four points. That's according to a Monday Harvard Caps Harris poll. So it's unclear if AOC wants to mount such a large campaign against the Democrat establishment in a 2024 primary against Biden or some other contenders. Ocasio-Cortez decided not to campaign against Senator Chuck Schumer, who's the Democrat senator in New York. He is the majority leader in the Senate right now. 
and everybody thought she was going to mount a campaign to run against him for the Senate in 2022, preferring to stay in her far-left House seat where she has little competition to retain her national relevance. So when she was asked, AOC was asked about a potential run. It was on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. She refused to give a definitive answer. She responded by saying this, Listen, I think that we need to focus on keeping a democracy for anybody to be president in the next couple of years. That's my central focus. It is helping the people of this country. Colbert pressed her, so it's possible, so it's possible. AOC said, I don't know about that. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to say something. I'm going to put this out there. If AOC does not run for president in 2024, and I think she will, and you know who I think she'll be running against for the Democrat Party nomination? Michelle Obama. I think Hillary's toast. I think Joe is toast. I think Kamala Harris is toast. And Americans, with an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez out there running for president, two generations of American voters, way younger than me, I think they would love to have her in office because they relate to her. She's not an old white man. She's a young, attractive Latino. I think, and I'm going to say something, this is personal opinion. I think she's an empty head. I think she has no idea how to puzzle through. She absolutely has no ability to lead. She may find it, but she's not shown it in anything she's done. I mean, after all, her big work history was as a bartender. <laughs> maybe maybe that could work at the Pelosi Mansion for the parties they host out there in San Francisco. I'm kidding. But I think this could be, I give it about a 50% chance that AOC might throw her hat in the ring, and you know what would determine whether she does or doesn't? How much money she can pick up really quickly in campaign dollars. And you know this. If she runs in a primary, and obviously anybody running for president, they're going to run in a party primary first, and she wins, Democrats are going to be in a box they're going to have to support her because that would mean the voters in America don't want whoever else is on the other side running against her in this uh, in this primary. Even if she didn't win, I think it would be fun to watch. In the last few presidential campaigns, until Election Day, haven't been fun to watch. I, I'm sorry, but I like to watch the political system work in the United States. I like to watch the scrambling, the lying, the misrepresentations, and candidates saying anything and everything when they're doing interviews, whatever they think the audience wants to hear. Promises, 
Here's what I'm going to do. Oh, I wouldn't do that. They want to hear all that. I love to watch them during campaigns, almost every, especially people on the left, Democrats. While they're running, they're going to tell a story about the same thing three or four times. And if they tell it four times, it's going to be one way. If they tell it five times, it's going to be five different ways. Six interviews, they talk about it. Ah, you may have two or three different versions of it looking over their shoulder. Whatever you got to say, whatever you got to promise. I learned that from the president. Quid pro Joe. You give me a dollar for campaign money, I'm going to work with you when I get elected. From Krakow to Grand Island, Milan to Hanoi, this is TNN, the Truth News Network. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Long live the courageous, the tenacious, the ones who push forward and give back. Long live the greater good, the helping hand, those who fall and get back up. And long live the truck with the strength to overcome. The will to outwork. And the commitment to outlast them all. Ram. Proven to last. songs. We don't get stuff like this anymore. Oh well. Don't forget, if you missed the first part of the show today, you didn't hear it or a reminder. Special guest tomorrow, 9.30 sharp, 9.30 central time, Jeremy Hammond. Now you may not have heard his name. You've seen some of his writing because he is an investigative reporter that concentrates on FDA fraud CDC disinformation, social media censorship, and he's gotten in the faces of a whole bunch of people in government and people that float around outside government and they manipulate with money. He's very controversial. You're going to want to be uh, in contact with him. He'll be on the show tomorrow morning at 9.30. I want you here for that. You need to be here. Well, Joe Biden tested positive second round. A lot of people call that now long COVID. You just keep getting the repeat cases. I've got a good friend that, that, that that's happening to left and right. It's really strange. I, I don't know if it's new infections or if you never get rid of the first one. I don't know, but it happens a lot. Joe got his second dose of it 
and he broke CDC guidelines. He got caught, busted, because he refused to wear a mask around other people while testing positive for COVID. It's important to wear a mask or a respirator. Now, wait a minute. You know what a respirator looks like. That's one of those gas masks that covers your entire face. And it's respirator, so you're getting oxygen from somewhere. That would be spooky to see the president wearing something like that. CDC guidance suggests that he wear a mask when he's around others. That's according to the White House COVID response coordinator. The president is going to follow CDC guidance. But Joe went on national TV without a mask after testing positive over the weekend. On Tuesday, Biden again tested positive with a return of a loose cough. And he's been vaccinated and boosted at at least twice. I won't bother you by playing the myriad of statements, public statements by this president. If you get vaccinated, you will not get infected by COVID and you will not infect anybody else. Where'd that come from? It came from Dr. Fauci, you know, Mr. Quote, I am science. If we brought to you, somebody needs to do an analysis of the CDC, the NAIAD, that's Fauci's organization, or the National Institutes of Health, or the FDA. If somebody would do an analysis of the lies or the things that they told us about COVID that we either had to do or we certainly couldn't do, what it boils down to, looking back, they didn't have an idea of what they were saying were facts. I think they knew the facts, and I think they still know the facts. But look at the Democrat Party. Look at where they are. They have power now by controlling the U.S. House of Representatives, the U.S. Senate, and the White House. I think all of this was put in context during the Trump administration because they were desperate. We have got to get back in charge. And that's because it becomes more and more obvious every day. They are dead set on getting this nation with socialist ideology rather than capitalism, and they want to build the government that is the power broker and controls every part of the American economy, our social structure, our government across the board. Whether they call it autocracy or socialist light, it doesn't really matter. That's their target. And in that context, I mean, look at all the stuff that happens. People in Washington, they definitely have different rules to govern them than we do. I mean, that's in everyday life. It's in legislation. And, of course, it's also in a courtroom. If you're a Democrat, you get a free pass. Can you imagine if one of the Trump kids did what Hunter Biden has done? Can you imagine what the media and every Democrat politician would say about that? And compare that to what's happening On the other side now, Republicans don't like evil. Conservatives don't like evil, period. Not just Republicans. 
and they want good to be maintained and they want people that break laws to be held accountable for that. Simply that. In that context, it could be very, very easy to impeach President Trump, impeach Homeland Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for blatantly suborning federal immigration laws every day. Nobody's run out there and started threatening that. Certainly no Democrat's going to do it. Such uh, an action would be required to be initiated in the U.S. House of Representatives, and who decides whether something like that's going to happen? Sole authority to do so, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. It would never even get to the floor to be discussed. So they get, they get a free pass. They've got a free pass because they control everything. It is going to change, I'm almost certain, in November. It actually won't change to November because none of it would take an office until a new Congress shows up in January. But beginning in January, things are probably going to be different. So they're rushing to get all of their policy, policies in place, as many as they can, before they get booted out of, out of Congress. There's some news that uh, came out, and I know this is going to break your heart. It's going to shock you. The CDC yesterday, now listen to this, yesterday they claimed there was no known association between heart inflammation and COVID-19 vaccines as late as October 2021. Now think about that for a second. I'm going to pause and let you think about it. I'll read it again. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, has claimed there was no known association between heart inflammation and COVID-19 vaccines as late as October of 2021. I could play you audio sound bites. I could share with you stories in abundance where doctors around the world were claiming in early 2021 that COVID-19 vaccination adverse events, a bunch of those adverse events were heart inflammation issues that came from COVID-19 vaccine. So why, why would they come out? They make this claim. It's false. And they had to do it in response to a Freedom of Information Act request for reports from a CDC team that is focused on analyzing the risk of post-vaccination myocarditis and pericarditis. That's two forms of severe heart inflammation. Both begin detected at higher than expected rates after COVID-19 vaccination in early 2021. The team focused on studying data from the VAERS reporting system, that we report on here, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. The date range for the search was April 2 of 2021, October 2, 2021. Why would they even be doing this kind of stuff now? We know there's an attachment. There's no question about it. I haven't looked at the VAERS report very long. While we're talking about this, why don't we just take a quick look? Let me find it. It won't take me but a second. Okay, 
Here's the very latest report. This is through July 22nd of 2022. Looking at adverse events from myocarditis and pericarditis. Ah, it's no big deal. There's only been 50,739 cases reported. 50,739 cases. And I promise you, that did not start in October of last year. We're going to take our second break. When we go to the second break, I'm going to go back and look at the adverse event reports in, let's say, August. And I bet you there's a bunch of myocarditis and pericarditis reports on the VAERS report because all that goes to doctors at the CDC. Are they covering for some? I don't, I don't know. I'm not even going to try to figure them out. I quit doing that a long time ago. You don't need to waste your time doing it either. Let's flip real quickly to our southern border issue. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, man, he has got them screaming and hollering in New York City and Washington, D.C. Why? He very boldly started a process of busing a bunch of these immigrants that come across the border illegally in South Texas. The federal government won't hold them accountable. They just release them to go somewhere else in the United States. Abbott said, I'm going to ship them to some of these big cities, Democrat-controlled cities, so they can see exactly what these towns and cities along the southern border of Texas are experiencing. So yesterday on the Fox News Channel's Hannity, Texas Governor Abbott said that the state will continue sending buses of migrants to northern cities. He said, quote, we're going to do it until the Biden administration does its job to enforce the laws concerning the border. And he shocked everybody when he added this. Texas is looking at other cities to send them to also. He said, we have more buses headed their way as we speak. But this just shows the hypocrisy of these liberal leaders up in the Northeast who think that border crisis created by Joe Biden, that's fine as long as it's Texas that has to deal with it. But as soon as they have to deal with the real consequences of Biden's border, they're up in arms calling for the National Guard. Literally, the mayor of Washington, D.C. requested formally National Guard to help out managing these illegal immigrants that Abbott's people are bringing to Washington, D.C., We're going to keep sending those buses up there, he said, until they fully understand, and most importantly, until the Biden administration does its job to enforce the laws concerning the border. And he finished with this. We're helping out these small local communities by sending even more buses to these communities up in the Northeast, putting these new migrants on those buses, sending them to Washington, D.C. We're looking to other cities to send them to. I'm really shocked that it took this long. I would suspect in the near future we're going to see Arizona and New Mexico do the same thing. Their governors, their people are going to say, look, that's working pretty well over there. The feds are getting the message. Stop the illegal immigration. (laughs) Stop it. 
and hold people accountable. And, and every day when I look at these things, I look at the numbers, I hear the stories, I shake my head. I cannot understand why any president of the United States and or any bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., appointed by the president of the United States, nominated and confirmed that has anything to do with immigration, the first thing they should do, and they swore an oath to do, is to hold everybody accountable for their actions regarding the laws that are applicable. You know which laws those are? You do. It's federal immigration laws that make it, in the first place, illegal for anybody to step across any one of our borders uninvited. And there's always been a process for people to come here legally. Even those people in Central and South America that they tell us are so poor, they've got to, they've got a new way of life they've got to find for themselves and their families. That's the reason they're coming up here. Yeah, we handle that process and we've handled it for dozens of decades and we've done it because we're the American people. We're the most open and inviting people on the planet. Statistics, data prove that. But we've always done it through a legal process that Congress has passed and every administration in the past has enforced. We've never had a president and a secretary of Homeland Security or a secretary of any other department that have colluded and they said, we're not going to follow the laws. It became pretty commonplace during the Obama-Biden administration to do that. The first big instance of that that happened that shocked everybody in the U.S. was when former President Barack Obama sent word to his Department of Justice Attorney General, Eric Holder, and he said, hey, y'all quit enforcing federal drug laws regarding possession illegally. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Just so you know, no president has the right or the authority to even make that happen. That's a thing Congress has to do because Congress is vested with the sole authority to pass laws. And that president, every president, part of their oath of office was to adhere to and enforce the laws that Congress passes. So we have Barack Obama, who's got a history of smoking dope. I'm just being honest. Don't know what else he's done. Don't care what else he's done. That doesn't matter in this conversation. What we're talking about here is enforcing the laws, holding people accountable who don't abide by the laws. And it just makes it a little difficult to do when the President of the United States is suborning anybody and everybody that has to do with immigration. Y'all don't worry about those federal laws that make it illegal for those people to be here. Forget about the fact that we have a very intricate immigration policy and everybody that wants to come here and restart their lives can do. All they need to do is go through the proper channels. We make it available. And for decades, we've let a million people every year in our nation legally. More than all the other countries on the planet combined. 
and that's not enough? Apparently it's not. For the Biden administration, boy, I wonder about where all that cartel money goes. I'm just saying, estimated to be $80 million a month the cartels are making. And we are told that there is some slight evidence that shows that the Biden administration gets some of that money. I'm just saying, I'm whispering this to plant a seed. There are others that are looking at it. And by the way, I don't think the others that are looking at it are out of the Biden Department of Justice. I think some independent investigators are. I think the fellow that's going to be on this show tomorrow at 930, I think he's one of the people that are looking into this. Maybe he'll talk to us about it when he comes on the show tomorrow at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Moving on, I was just skimming the news overnight about 4 o'clock this morning, and a story title popped up that shocked me. It's from Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania Department of Education has claimed that children as young as 3 years old can identify as transgender and list these words as viable pronouns. Listen to these words. They're making this a law in Pennsylvania. Knee, spelled N-E, V, spelled V-E, Z slash Z, that's Z-E slash Z-I-E, and X-E has viable pronouns. I'm going to explain that from this story. I, can't, I don't even know how to say them. The website for the Department of Education in Pennsylvania also advises teachers to ask students before assuming what a student's preferred pronouns might be. So the story says, quote, in addition to the traditional pronouns, he slash him, she slash her, or they, some people prefer for use of gender-neutral pronouns, such as ni, v, z slash z, and xe. If you don't know a student's preferred personal pronoun, it's always best to ask. According to the website, which is intended to be a guide for teachers, binary gender is the faulty concept that there are only two genders, male and female, and gender expression slash gender presentation is how we show our gender to the world through external choices. For example, their dress, their behavior, their hairstyles. This is in Pennsylvania. I didn't even know they delved into stuff like this in Pennsylvania. Their Department of Education advocates for teachers to celebrate a gender-neutral day in which students are asked to pick two to three ways they will reject gender stereotypes for the day. Students and teachers should also make specific commitments to challenge gender norms. This obviously is part of a national effort in schools to break the binary 
by confusing young children about biological sex and indoctrinating them into believing that gender is a spectrum. That comes from Parents Defending Education Director of Outreach, Erica Sanzi. The Department of Education should delete these ideology-based resources from their website and anyone teaching gender fluidity to three-year-olds does not belong in a classroom. Can you believe this whole story we just told you about? Those quote-unquote new pronouns. V, Z, slash, Z, and X, E. What in the heck do those mean? Are you like me? I am so stinking confused. I'll give you one example, and this has nothing to do with gender stuff. There was a famous sportscast, not sportscaster, news anchor at, um, I believe he was at the CBS affiliate, television affiliate in Shreveport for years. And uh, he had polio when he was young. He walked with crutches. And so one day, and I knew him personally on a personal level. We had interacted with each other through a multitude of things through the years and good ways. I thought he was a friend. We were going to a meeting. I was walking into a building, a commercial building, and he happened to be coming up the steps right behind me. So, you know, I'm a nice guy. And I thought, I know he walks on crutches. He, 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 I know he struggles with walking way more than me, and I want to accommodate that, so I just opened the door for him. He went absolutely nuts on me. He did everything but cuss me out. Basically, he said, do you think because I'm on crutches I'm incapable of opening a door? How dare you do that to me? Leave me alone. I can do my own door opening. And he said, a lot of stuff I'm putting in context what he said. And it shocked me. I was just trying to help out. With all of this labeling, all of these pronouns that are coming out, we get a scat of them every week or two. How in the heck are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to talk to these people that or identifying as something else, and we all know, including them, they know they're not that something else, but it's cool. It's the latest thing. And they're demanding that everybody comply with this. We're going to see courts. We're going to see lawmakers at the state and the local level, and I'm afraid to say also in Congress, that are going to go down this road. And I can't tell you. I, I, I'll i just tell you this. I'll do like people do in some foreign countries. I'm going to look down at the, at the street, at the sidewalk. When I'm going in places, I'm never going to look anybody in the eye. And when I talk to somebody, I'm not going to address them in any polite way because I darn sure don't want to use the wrong pronoun. And at some point, it could be illegal for me to use those pronouns that they demand, and I can't understand them. And they're also going to have classes in universities that teach how to understand the sexual pronouns of the 21st century. 
there are people that would really get all over me for snickering about it, just like I did. I'm serious. I want to, um, before we go to our a break, I want to go back to uh, Peter Ducey. Peter Ducey, he got into it with Admiral John Kirby. Admiral John Kirby, you know, for a long time, he was the media spokesperson for the Pentagon. And when um, what's-her-name left the White House, Jen Psaki, and she went, I think she went to MSNBC, maybe CNN, I don't know, one of the very lightly watched news, uh, cable news networks. When that happened, her replacement, Corrine Pierre, she found out very quickly, or everybody found out very quickly, regarding serious matters in the White House. She was not qualified to get in front of the media and talk about it. And so Joe Biden, I guess, made the decision to move John Kirby from the Pentagon, and he's at the White House. Now, Jean Perrine makes all of the daily press briefings, but when there's something big going on, they call in the big shot. And the big shot, in this case, would be Admiral John Kirby. So with all of the goings-on now regarding the killing of that al-Qaeda leader, and he happened to get killed living in a very prestigious neighborhood in Kabul, Afghanistan. That's interesting in itself. But Peter Ducey got into it with Admiral Kirby yesterday about some comparisons. And I won't say any more about it. Listen to the back and forth between Admiral Kirby, John Kirby, and Peter Ducey. John, something you just said is not consistent with what we were told last year. You're saying that you've always known there was a small number of al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. President Biden said, what interest do we have in Afghanistan at this point with al-Qaeda gone? Yeah, I mean, in a major way, al-Qaeda was not playing a, no, wait, let me, let me finish. They weren't playing a major role uh, in, in operations uh, or resourcing or planning in Afghanistan. But Peter, I, I know specifically because I was at a different podium a year ago and we talked about the fact that al-Qaeda had a presence in Afghanistan, but small and not incredibly powerful or, or, uh, or potent. And I think, again, without getting into numbers, we would still assess that to, to be the case. So we know that the Taliban was harboring the world's most wanted terrorist. You guys gave a whole country to a bunch of people that are on the FBI most wanted list. What did you think was going to happen? I take issue with the premise that we gave a whole country to terrorist groups. I mean, again, I'd, 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 I'd encourage you to ask. The world's number one terrorist. How is that not giving a country to a, a terrorist sympathizing group, uh, if not giving them permission to have terrorists just well, sit on a balcony? The, the question, I mean, Peter, the way you asked that, it makes it sound like we owned Afghanistan a year ago. It wasn't our country. Um, it was an independent, sovereign state. And the president made a bold decision to end a war that had been going on for 20 years because he believed then and still believes now that our national security interests are best met by meeting the threats of today, not the threats of 2001. And uh, uh, we've, you know, I don't want to relitigate the whole war here, but uh, obviously no one anticipated the Ghani government to fall as fast as it did. Um, but we said at the time that as we depart Afghanistan, we're going to keep 
vigilant. We're going to stay ready, and we're not going to let Afghanistan become a safe haven for terrorists who threaten our homeland. And this past weekend, we proved that case precisely. But So now that you know that the Taliban is not living up to the part of the deal that they made with the U.S. to not let Afghanistan be a place that terrorists feel like they can be safe, what are you going to do about it? Well, that gets to Peter's question. I'm not going to telegraph uh, decisions that haven't been made or, 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 or policy, uh, policy initiatives one way or the other. Are we I would just say for some spectacular terrorist attack in the U.S. to then say, oh, well, there's terrorists if we in, were, Peter, in, in Afghanistan. If we, now we can go get them. If we were, Peter, then we wouldn't have taken the hit on Saturday, the strike that we took on Mr. Zawahiri, if we were just waiting. This isn't about waiting. It's about watching. Um, and we watched very closely, and we acted on what we learned. And I would go so far as to say not only the American people are safer as a result of President Biden's decision, but the rest of the world is safer. Does that mean that the threat from al-Qaeda is over? No, of course it's not. Now, they'll have to make some decisions here, and we'll watch that too. Uh, and if we discern uh, a threat to the American homeland again from them or any other terrorist group, the president will reserve the right to take that action again. You know what? That just illustrates the ills of the Biden administration. Have you heard Joe Biden say one thing, one thing at all, taking responsibility for any of the bad decisions he's made since he's been president? Have you heard of him doing that in the U.S. Senate? Did you hear of him doing that when he was vice president for Barack Obama? Remember when they they, uh, made the big kill, Osama bin Laden? We found out later in the Situation Room that night when the attack was about to go underway, when the helicopters were going to leave and fly into Pakistan and take Obama cap, uh, Osama bin Laden captive or, or kill him. You remember that? Joe Biden was the lone voice in the Situation Room that was advising President Obama, don't do it. Robert Gates, CIA director, Secretary of Defense made the statement about Joe Biden. He had been with him, around him for his entire professional career and long before Biden even ran for president this time. Bob Gates said every foreign policy decision Joe Biden has ever made in the Senate or as vice president has been wrong. So here we are talking about Afghanistan and he told us that. There's no need for us to keep a presence in Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda's gone. Al-Qaeda never left. Al-Qaeda, we know, was hiding in the hills, doing what they were doing internationally, making plans to do other things very quietly. And then, of course, when we leave, Zawari, if he had the ability to do it, I don't blame him for doing it. Move into the nicest neighborhood in Kabul and take advantage of all of that. That's what he did. And then, of course, we, we just decide, we find that he's there. And Joe Biden didn't find out if he was there. There was no investigation going on about it. Somebody turned on Zawari and said, you know what? I'm going to let the American people, the military, the intelligence community, know where you are. And they're going to take you out. That's exactly what they did. That happened not because of careful planning, not because of coordinating anything. It happened because somebody else, not us, somebody else 
turned our intelligence community on to the fact that he was there in Kabul. Every other time Joe's tried to take somebody out, remember coming out of Afghanistan, we had one of those Taliban leaders, if not the leader of the Taliban, and we took him out with a drone. Well, we didn't kill a leader. There was no leader in the vehicle, but we killed a bunch. All were citizens of Afghanistan, private citizens. Two of them were kids. Did you hear Joe Biden say, we made a boo-boo? Nah. And you're never going to hear him say that. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle... out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships, like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home. But now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Conservative thought, not just talk. At TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. I told you when I went to break, I was going to go back and find out, looking at previous months, previous VAERS reports, and find out when we first were told that... uh, we were going to have those adverse reactions. The CDC under fire, they came out and gave us the date, October 21st. That was the first they heard about it. I couldn't find it very quickly in the uh, in the break, but I will find it on tomorrow's show. I'll come back and tell you about it. Regarding sicknesses, illnesses, and our federal government, how about the local state level? Illinois yesterday became the latest state to declare a state of emergency due to the current monkeypox outbreak in the nation. Monkeypox. This declaration is going to expand the state's resources available to tackle the spread of the viral disease. Governor J.B. Pritzker is the one who made the announcement. The monkeypox virus is a rare but potentially serious disease that requires the full mobilization of all available public health resources to prevent the spread. The governor said that in a statement. I'm declaring state of emergency to expand the resources and coordination efforts of state agencies in responding to, treating, and preventing 
the spread of monkeypox. So what are the data facts about this whole thing? Well, there are currently, you would think there were 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, half a million, a bunch of cases of monkeypox. No, there are currently 5,000 total monkeypox cases confirmed here in the U.S. Now, that's from the CDC. I know what I'm about to say may shock you, but once in every 10 or 20 years, the CDC is wrong. (laughs) Illinois currently ranks third in terms of cases. That's behind, guess where? New York and California. 520 confirmed cases. So Illinois, the governor declared in a state of emergency, a state of emergency, 520 confirmed cases in Illinois. The World Health Organization, WHO, they've already declared the outbreak of monkeypox in non-endemic countries to be a global health emergency. Pritzker's declaration comes after New York Governor Kathy Kathy Hockel issued similar measures, marshalling resources to combat the spread of monkeypox there. She, in, in her statement, said this, I, Kathy Hockel, governor of the state of New York, by virtue of the authority vested in me, yada, 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 I am issuing a disaster order. A disaster has occurred in New York State. The executive order there enables us to respond, she said, more swiftly, allows healthcare professionals to take additional steps that will help get more New Yorkers vaccinated. Gavin Newsom did the same thing. So we're talking about the three biggies New York, LA, or California, and Illinois. You don't hear anybody talking about where monkeypox comes from and who it affects, who it impacts. When COVID-19 came out from day one, everybody at the CDC, led by, of course, Dr. Burks, Dr. Fauci, they were in front of national television cameras every day talking about who was most likely to be susceptible to catching COVID-19, the prevention and all that kind of stuff. You don't hear any conversations about monkeypox. Nobody's talking about it. How do you, they would tell us how it spreads. It's a virus. Why is that? I will tell you why. And you can call me a homophobe, whatever you want to call me. But if this is not factual, let me know what the factual part of this is. It principally impacts homosexuals that transmit monkeypox through gay sex. There, I said it. And so in the United States, where are most of the people concentrated that participate in that? New York, Illinois, in California. I promise you it's not an emergency in Louisiana. It's not an emergency in Texas. It's an emergency, and not because it really is an emergency, but because the governors of Illinois, 
New York, and California called it an emergency. You know how to stop monkeypox? Stop having gay sex. I said it. It's out. Shame on me. Sometimes facts don't look good. They don't sound good. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes facts are uh, facts, which means that's the way it is, even if you disagree with it. That's the way it is. Another 900-pound gorilla on the national stage, one of the most important ones, is this big pending bill that is a boondoggle, and it's going to raise our inflation, which means it's going to really devastate our economy even more than it, than it uh, is now. And it's going to happen because of massive spending that's piled on top of what's already come out of this federal government. This thing's got to get through the Senate. And the linchpin in very controversial, especially economic bills, has always been West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, Senator from Arizona. They're both Democrats. So with the 50-50 tie, 50% Republicans, 50% Democrats in the Senate, it's always tough to get legislation passed. But Joe Biden, excuse me, Joe Manchin has always been a conservative, a Democrat moderate. And he has stepped in in many cases and refused to swallow some of these egregious hard left Democrat spending bills. And he's not agreed to come across, which would make those bills able to be passed at just 50 plus one in the vote. Well, this new bill that's come out, it's finally been issued, it's been broken down, and it was uncovered by very, very strong, capable, and accomplished economists to prove that this new bill, if it's signed into law and implemented, it is going to raise inflation to astronomical rates, and it's going to raise taxes on middle-class Americans, they say it's not in the bill. It's not going to impact any American that makes $400,000 or less. Uh Uh-uh. These experts that have graded it say people that make $200,000 a year are going to be exposed to a massive tax increase. So yesterday, Joe Manchin had the guts to go on The View, Fox's midday program, Harris Faulkner was there. And I want, you, I want you to hear how Joe Manchin, he doubles and triples down on poor information when all of the real numbers have come out across the nation by dozens of economists, and the senator ignores those facts. The fate of a massive Democratic tax and spending bill was announced last week by Senators Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer. Still hangs in the balance, though. Moderate Democrat Senator Kirsten Sinema has not yet said whether she will support it. A lot of questions looming over whether the package Democrats are calling the Inflation Reduction Act will actually help American families struggling with rising prices or hurt them. 
A Wall Street Journal op-ed argues the Inflation Reduction Act is an insult to used car salesmen, adding, like that lemon sitting at the back of the lot, it's giving a little touch-up, a fresh coat of paint, a reduced price tag, and a bright new description. But it's still the same car. In Focus Now, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. Great to have you in Focus today. Oh, it's finally good to be with you, Harris. I know we've been talking about this for a while. It's so nice to be with you. Well, thank you. It, and we have been talking about this for a while. And in yeah. fact, you know what? Let's start there. How did this deal come about so quickly and so quietly? Because you were a holdout like Kirsten Cinema. Well, I wasn't a holdout. I was basically a post at the BBB at $3.5 trillion. And when it came down to it last, uh, last December, I just couldn't do it. And I was just up front and told him I can't be done. And I can't get there, so that's over. Uh, but I always wanted to do something I could for my country. And this is all about my country. It's not about my politics or someone else's politics or my friends on the Republican side or my friends on the Democrat side or whoever's upset with me. It had nothing to do about any of us. This is about what can we do for the country. And right now, inflation is the greatest threat that we have. It's hurting every West Virginian, I can assure you, at the gas pump, at the, at the, at the food store, uh, and their energy bills, and just their daily lives. And if we have a chance, and I've said this all along, if I ever had a chance to have an energy policy that was bi balanced, and we could basically make sure we're producing more energy for what we have, rather than going around the world asking other people to produce for us, shouldn't we do that? All right. That's something we all wanted, and that's what we got out of this. It's a great bill. And I've read the part about what West Virginia could see in terms of energy. We'll get into that in a second, but I want to hit what you said because you are absolutely right. Everybody's focused on inflation right now. Every yeah. poll shows it. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Penn Wharton budget model, which you, Senator, have been known to watch. It examined the details of the Schumer Mansion deal. And, sure. and actually, it said something very different than you just said. It said that the impact on inflation, this is a quote, the impact on inflation is statistically indistinguishable from zero through 2031. Penn Wharton modelers are saying, we don't agree with those who think deficit reduction will lead in a straight line to lower inf inflation. But that's what the Democrats claim for their bill. Well, so it can't, so both things can't be true. And, well, and this is something that they're studying. So are you wrong or are you not giving all, all of the hard truth to Americans about well, what this is going to cost them in terms say, of inflation? Let's say maybe they're wrong. Okay, there's other ones that you, said you, absolutely different than that. Moody's has said different. And you have the Bob Artisan budget policies. They've said, Maya McGinnis and her group came out. We had 17 Nobel laureates last year when I said uh, inflation is real, it's going to be here, and it's going to hurt us immensely. They said, oh, no, no, it's going to be transitory. And 17 of the brightest in the country. We're so wrong. let me ask you specifically so what cuts inflation in this bill. Let me ask you this. How in the world could it be inflation when you're cutting? My Republican friends always said, we got to start paying down debt. I've been a budget hawk my whole life. We're paying down $300 billion. You're saying massive expenses? 3.5 trillion in BBB was right. massive expenses. You asked me a no, direct no, question, so I'm going to answer you. So how is it not a straight line? Because I'm not saying, and even Wharton isn't, Penn Wharton isn't saying that it won't eventually get there in a jagged line. But you know how it doesn't? Because we are cooking a higher rate of inflation right now ahead of wages. And even if everybody were to go out and get a job or two or three jobs right now, their wages can't keep up with what the cost of milk, bread, gas, so on well, and so forth. don't you think we ought to get those costs down? How you do that? By uh, producing. You've got to produce your way out of this. You can't sit back and wait your way out so of it. So are you going to open pipelines? 
Absolutely. We're going to build pipelines. We're going to do more How drilling. are you going to sell We're, that to the president of the United States who on day one it's already been sold the and switch. bought? It's already been. It's part of the deal. It's part of the bill. All you have to do is read the bill, Harris, and you'll see. You're not going to be able to do any more offshore wind or offshore uh, or onshore uh, solar and wind unless we're absolutely doing more production with drilling and extraction. It's all part of a balanced approach. We need more energy today, so and we also need to invest in the energy for the future. This is a balanced approach that everyone's been talking about, but everyone's upset for whatever reason because they're afraid it's a political bill. This is not a Democrat bill. This is not a Republican bill. All right. This is there not a green deal. This is a red, white, and blue deal, Harris. We're going to stop there simply because Joe Biden got some bad information. The economist, whoever they are that he spoke to, gave him some bad information. That thing, it's going to kill, it's going to choke every middle-class American and anybody below. Hey, you guys have a great day. See you tomorrow. I found a diary underneath the tree And started reading about me the words she'd written took me by surprise You'd never read them in her eyes They said that she had found The love she'd waited for Wouldn't you know it She wouldn't show then she confronted with the writing there Simply pretended not to care I passed it off as just in keeping with Her total disconcerting And though she tried to hide The love that she denied you know it she wouldn't show it and as I go started reading about me the words began to stick and tears to flow her meaning now was clear to see the love she'd waited for was someone else not me wouldn't you know show it and as I go
sweet.